0: We are delighted to be joined by the author of a great little book sharing the gospel with jehovah witnesses hello and welcome to exposit the word tony brown uh good to be with you david thanks for inviting me to uh, to be on today oh thank you before we get stuck into the questions tell us a little bit about yourself okay yeah so i'm married
1: to to Kath. um we, we've got three kids uh they're all a little bit older now we, we just lost our last one to university um uh, in Liverpool, so the house is, is empty at the moment but expecting them back anytime soon. And, um, I live in Bradford, in, in West Yorkshire. I'm, I'm Bradford born and bred. Uh, hopefully my accent isn't too strong to put you off. <laughs> um, and I belong to a church in Bradford called Sumridge Road Mission. I was um, helping pastor the church there uh, for, for a number of years. Uh, but now I work as an itinerant evangelist. Um, Involved in lots of evangelistic activity, but with a with a real focus on trying to reach people in new religious movements, or as we we more commonly understand them, to to be cults. And um, my my testimony is part of the reason that I'm I, I'm attracted to that kind of work, uh, and I just see these people as lost people in need of of, uh, of Jesus. So yeah, I spend a lot of my time doing that and helping helping Christians understand where these people are coming from, and how to engage with them.
0: Yeah. Really good. How did you become a Christian and how did you come to write this book? Yeah, well,
1: I'll give you the potted version of how how I became a Christian. Really, I'm not brought up in a Christian family, Uh, just a typical sort of uh, Bradford lad, brought up in an estate, a very working class family, never really thought about church, thought about God very much and just used the church for christenings. I remember christenings more than anything growing up, but it was just an excuse to go to the pub afterwards. And um, so yeah, never really thought about God and until something happened in my life, when I was 21 years old, my mum died suddenly. And for the first time in my life, I had questions about life and death and heaven and hell and wanted answers and didn't know where to look for answers. So I began to read all kinds of books, uh, mainly about the afterlife and the promise of, you know, your, your loved one living somewhere in a spirit world somewhere, and I don't think I really bought into that, David. But uh, but I was I was looking for answers, and it was a good few months after that my sister came to me and said, "Look, Tony, someone knocked on my door uh, the other day, and I've invited them back on Saturday morning just for you. Will you come round?" And I said, "Well, I'll talk to anybody." And I went along, and uh, of course, as you might imagine, it was it was Jehovah's Witnesses, and I fired all my questions that I had at these at these people. And they answered every single question from the Bible. Now, I, I didn't know the Bible whatsoever. So I just believed everything they were telling me and, and were ha- was happy to accept Bible study with them. Now with the JWs, you don't really get a Bible study. That's what they offer you, but you get a Watchtower book study, but I didn't know. I thought I was learning the Bible. And so I very quickly uh, got into it and, and, and got involved with the JWs. And uh, that lasted for about four years. I thought I'd I found the truth. Um, They became my family. Um, I spent all my time with them and believed that, um, yeah, I was on the right path. And that is until I began a new job and I met a guy who was a Christian. And I challenged this Christian. He didn't really challenge me, but I kept challenging him on what he believed. And he was just a really nice guy. Didn't always have all the answers to my questions, but he was a nice guy. And um, I was attracted to him because he was so nice, really. And he, through a variety of means, tried to engage me um, further. He, he asked me to go to church. There was no way I was ever going to go to church as a Jehovah's Witness. So he invited me to meet his family and, and have a meal with them, which I did. Uh, met a few other people from the church there. I, I loved it because I, I was on a crusade to convert all these Christians to, to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Uh, but what I didn't realize at the time that he'd done is he got his church to pray for me. And it was some nine months later, I ended up coming out of the Jehovah's Witnesses and walking into his church. And it was like these people knew me. I didn't know any of them, but they knew me by name and had been praying for me. And what happened, um, again, just to cut a long story short, is that um, I asked him a question one day and, and I think it just came from something I heard at the Kingdom Hall. And he answered it and what he said seemed to make sense to me. And that really threw me, because only the Jehovah's Witnesses understand the Bible, not anyone else, but what he said, and there was that first little chink of light, and that little chink of light became a a, a bigger hole and a bigger hole and a bigger hole, to the point where I accepted his invitation to go to a meeting at Bradford University, and it was there that I heard the Christian gospel for the first time. Confused, challenged by it, came away, wondering what was this all about and really just prayed out to god and really sought the lord in prayer i couldn't sleep that night saying, lord you know i want to follow you what is what is the truth and i woke up the next morning just a completely different person wow. um, something had happened i i i felt uh, a peace that i'd never experienced before and um i i thought something's happened spoke to this friend of mine christian friend david he said you've been born again come to church and that was the beginning of my way out of the JWs and into um, the Christian church. And so uh, the, the book really is, is a consequence of that. I'd always thought for many years that I should write a little book, but it wasn't really until I got involved with the Association of Evangelists and their connections with um, uh, 10 of those, a book company, 10 of those. And they said to me, look, would you do a little book on JWs and Mormons? So I'm currently doing one on Mormons, similar format.
0: and uh, And that's how the book came about. This book is titled, Sharing the Gospel with Jehovah Witnesses. So what is the Christian gospel message? Well, the
1: Christian gospel message is very, very simple, really, and uh, I think people complicate it. In, in Acts 20 and, and verse 24, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about the gospel of the grace of God. And that's something I can understand as a Jehovah's Witness. But the gospel in a nutshell is this, that, that God, there is a God who created us, and, and, and in the beginning, we had a relationship with him through our, our first parents, Adam and Eve. Uh, they rebelled against God. They chose against God and his way. That it's called sin. It separated us from God. And, um, and now we've got a problem. All of those born from Adam and Eve, we all sort of come down from them. Uh, we're all born in sin and, and separated from God. And, and this sin is just breaking God's rules and his commandments. We we can't live up to them, we, we can't keep them. We rebel against God. and We might seek uh, ways of restoring that relationship with God. It's often through good works, and that's where the cults come into it, really. Through thinking, you know, my good deeds will make me good enough, but none of those good deeds are good enough. That's what the Bible tells us. All our, uh, our, all our, our, our deeds are as filthy rags before God. And so, What's the answer? Well, the answer is that God sends his son, Jesus, uh, who was fully God and fully man, and he comes, he dies on a cross, takes the punishment we deserve, and uh, and then he rises from the dead three days later. So he he has victory over death. And all we need to do is put our faith in him. Uh, It's in Christ alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And whoever confesses, his sin and puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be saved. And we have eternal life beginning when we do that, for the moment we do that, and obviously eternity to come, and we have assurance that that happens. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's what makes it good news. Yeah. There's nothing we can do, but it's all about what God has done for us in Jesus. It's putting faith in him and receiving him. Yeah. And as we do that, we receive uh, eternal life. So that's that's the good news really.
0: So how does that differ to the gospel according to Jehovah's Witnesses?
1: Well, I mean, it's a great question, I think, David, to ask um, Jehovah's Witnesses, because if you ask the Jehovah's Witnesses what the gospel is, you won't hear anything of what I've just said. Uh, You know, they wouldn't take you, for example, to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul lays out what the gospel is, and he says, it's by this gospel we're saved. And, And there he talks according to the scriptures, Jesus died according to the scriptures, he rose again. They don't talk about it in those terms. For the Jehovah's Witnesses, if they're going to point you to a Bible verse, it's probably Matthew 24 14. And in their version, it words it like this And the good news, which is the gospel of the kingdom, will be preached in all the inhabited earth for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So the good news or the gospel to Jehovah's Witnesses is going from door to door or standing on their carts. and and talking to people about the impending Armageddon that's coming our way, the end of the world, where Jehovah will judge everyone. And you have to survive Armageddon. And the way that you survive Armageddon, this is the gospel according to Jehovah's Witnesses then, is that you need to, what they would say, is taking knowledge of, of the Father and of Jesus Christ. And how's that done? Well, it's done by studying with them. Uh, You need to obey God's laws. Well, the laws are laid out by the Watchtower Society. Uh, You need to be associated with God's channel, his organization. So therefore, you need to get baptized as a Jehovah's Witness. And you then need to be loyally loyally advertising his kingdom Uh, and doing that through their preaching work. So all these things are steps that may or may not lead you to salvation. Because ultimately, salvation is by works to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So there's no assurance. Uh, Here's a little quote from uh, one of their articles, which is called Working Hard for the Reward of Eternal Life. It says this, It is for the reward of eternal life that every last person on earth should be now working. Jehovah's Witnesses are working hard now for the reward of eternal life, making themselves eligible to receive the reward of eternal life. So you can see by like the speak that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't spot in this stuff, but we can, you know, it's in the reward of eternal life. So on one hand, they'll say it's a free gift, but then they'll say it's a reward. Yeah. Well, you get a reward for doing something. Yeah. So for, for witnesses, it's, it's about works. The gospel is all of it's a gospel of works. Yeah. It's all about works.
0: If any of the listeners have spent time in conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, one of the first things that may surprise them is that they call themselves Christians and then look to talk about all of the things that they believe are similar to Christians. Is that a talk behavior? And what do we have in common and what are the big differences that separate us?
1: Yeah. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses believe themselves to be the only true Christians. Um, They're the only ones on the planet, according to them that are truly obeying God. And, um, yeah, they, they, in their sort of uh, practicing, and they do practice an awful lot door-to-door step situations and talking with the general public, they will seek to build bridges. So if they, if they meet a Christian, they, they will seem quite pleased about that. And they'll say, well, that's great that you know you believe in the Bible and you pray and you trust in God. We're not meeting many people that do that. So it is a tool that they will use to to engage with you. And, and there are occasions where we can agree with the message that they present i mean their usual opening message on the doorstep is something like you know isn't the world getting bad you know don't we need something to happen you know don't we need god to step in and, and, and change things and we would agree with all that they'll say well you know the bible's the solution we would agree um so we can agree with them on a surface level but like a lot of cults the jehovah's witnesses will use the same terms that we use as christians terms we're familiar with, but they'll mean something very different by those terms. So they'll build bridge, seek to build bridges, but then, you know, the God that they speak about is a different God to the God we would understand. But just a, a, an obvious thing is you know, their God's Unitarian, yeah. he's not Trinitarian. They have a, a, a different Jesus. They don't believe Jesus was God. You know, they deny the person of the Holy Spirit. They'll believe in salvation by works. So on a surface level, they can sound Christian and they will want to build bridges with us. But ultimately when it comes down to it, there are, as, as the apostle Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, you know, there's someone who comes and proclaims another Jesus, yeah. uh, a different spirit and a different gospel. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Christians need to be aware of that. And especially with some of these groups like the JWs and the Mormons, because they can sound Christian. Yeah. And And, and a Christian who doesn't, really delve into it much might think well what's wrong with them yeah
0: what is the history of the jehovah witnesses well again just a, a potted
1: sort of version of their of their history really is that they like a lot of the the cults we experience called christian cults uh find their beginnings in 19th century america and um they were originally called the international bible students uh, founded by a guy called charles Taze russell now, Charles Russell was, was brought up in a Christian family, and I think it was when he was in his, his teens, maybe about 15, 16, he drifted away from his Christian faith, began to look into all kinds of other religions. But he was brought back to the Christian faith by a guy that he heard called Nelson Barber. and Nelson Barber was what's termed then a Second Adventist. And as their name gives away, they, they, they were really interested in looking at the return of jesus to the point where they would set dates for it and and russell got really interested in this now there came a point where he and nelson barber separated on on certain doctrines and left each other but what russell picked up from barber was this idea of trying to work out when jesus would return so throughout the history of jehovah's witnesses they've been keen to set dates to, to try and figure out when jesus would return Now, some of the distinctives of of their beginnings with Charles Tiers Russell is is he uh, denied um, hell. He denied the Trinity. Uh, He didn't like the idea of the immortality of the soul, began to teach against these things. And he began to publish his own teachings in um, a magazine called Zion's Watchtower. And it was from that that he got well known and more people sort of were interested in what he was teaching. Um, A lot of the stuff that the JWs teach today don't come from Charles Taze Russell. It's interesting that the Jehovah's Witnesses today don't often often reference Russell. It's almost like they've disowned him a little bit, but they acknowledge that that's where they began. So, for example, um, they weren't called Jehovah's Witnesses by Charles Taze Russell. They were always known as like the International Bible Students, really. They didn't become known as Jehovah's Witnesses until 1931. And it was the guy who took over from Russell. Russell died in 1916. And it was the guy that took over from him in 1918, A guy called uh, Judge Rutherford. It was he that sort of brought in some of the distinctive things that people are aware of today. So Russell, for example, had no no problem celebrating birthdays and Christmas. In fact, he'd advocate those things. rutherford came in and they began to get rid of some of those things and said they're pagan we shouldn't do any any of those things so the 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 society began to change through rutherford Um, but then after rutherford came another guy uh, called nathan nor and he was the guy that really organized them he was the guy that started putting out all the literature and and their publications which just flooded everywhere and that's what they Again, what they're really well known for, the Watchtower and Awake magazines and their publications. So it was, it it began to progress in that way. Now, again, cutting a long story short, they used to have single leaders like these guys who, again, the Jehovah's Witness would see as the one through whom God spoke. But it was in the 1970s, they began to change that and they decided that they'd have a group of people rather than an individual. And they're now called the governing body and that's what they have today the governing body and the governing body determines what the witnesses teach and and believe today and and they can it consists of eight men all live in america they're not all americans but they all live in america and new york and the jehovah's witnesses believe that these eight men are god's mouthpiece on the earth today jehovah only speaks to the world through these guys he's God, they're God's only channel of communication um, and today although they continue to publish a lot of their material um, it's much less now because of social media because of websites they've got an amazing website not that i want to say amazing in the sense of you should go there and find truth there but all their documents are on there all their publications all their teachings are on there you find that the modern day witnesses now carry around like um an iPad with them, a tablet, and they'll show you little video clips while they're witnessing to you and point to things on there. So that, that's a bit of a part of history of, of the JWs.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. What is the Watchtower organization and what role does it play?
1: Well, we often find ourselves, well, I, I've done this myself as well, that I will use the term Watchtower Society and Jehovah's Witnesses interchangeably, um, but they're different. They're, they're different things, really. So the Watchtower Society, um, officially the Watchtower Bible and Trap Society of Pennsylvania was formed in 1884. And, and it was like the, um, a non nonprofit corporation. It was, it was the arm that used to publish Zion's Watchtower and continues to publish all their literature today. And it's seen as a charitable organization. And, they, and the Jehovah's Witnesses use it to support their worldwide work. Um, which includes publishing Bibles and Bible literature, and um, yeah, they they see them. As, they want us to be seen as a as a religious charity. Uh, they they're getting pulled up short on a few things at the moment with that stuff, but they they say that they're a religious, educational, and charitable organisation, preaching and teaching the gospel of God's kingdom under Christ Jesus. So the Watchtower is like the, the publishing arm, the legal de- wing of of the Jehovah's Witnesses, as it were. The JWs use that to publish all their material.
0: Yeah. Why do they have their own translation and how different is it to the original Greek and Hebrew?
1: Yeah, well, I think the reason they have their own Bible, uh, which is called the New World Translation, is because through it they can promote their erroneous doctrine. You'll find Jehovah's Witnesses saying, look, we use lots of Bibles. And if they meet someone on the doorstep who shows interest and they begin a Bible study with them, they often say, well, look, we're happy with you using your own Bible. But very quickly, they convince you to use theirs because it's easier if you're using the same Bible. And they always tell you as well that their Bible is just like a more modern translation. It's just the same as all the others, but it's a more modern, you know, worded better, easier to understand. And so people fall for that. But the reality is the New World Translation isn't a translation, not in the way that we would understand a translation. Because we would understand a translation to to be the product of uh, maybe a a group of people, maybe many, many people coming together um, with uh, training in biblical languages with the Greek and the Hebrew, maybe some Aramaic, um, coming together, determining what it says, and then producing an English version. That's not what's happened with the New World Translation. Mm. From what we understand, none of the guys who they claim translated their Bible has any qualifications to do that. They keep the names secret because if they could say who they were, then you could check out these these guys' qualifications. So they they never revealed the names. But the names have been leaked over time and you can check those names and you find that they're not qualified to do it. So their Bible really is just a modif- modified version of, of a Bible that's been changed to support their doctrine. So they've just changed places within the Bible. They've taken out certain words, they've replaced certain words, they've added things, they've taken things out, particularly to do with the person of Jesus. That's where they came to say, make Jesus out to be someone that he isn't. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in another place as well where it's greatly seen is that the most obvious perhaps is the adding of the name Jehovah throughout the Bible. Um, they, they've added it all over the place. So it sounds like it's their Bible because every time they read it, they're saying Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. Yeah. So I would say it's, it's, not a, it's not a translation. It's a sectarian translation best.
0: Yeah, it's really helpful, Tony. Mm. Talking about... The name Jehovah. Tell us about the origin of the name and how this can lead to a helpful conversation when speaking with a Jehovah Witness.
1: Yeah, again, without getting sort of too deep into this, trying to explain it simply. Where we in, in our in our Bibles in 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 um, in the Old Testament, where the word Lord appears in capital letters, that's where there's four Hebrew letters called the Tetragram. And it's Y-H-W-H. They're the four letters. And that would be where apparently that's got the name. And the Jews would not pronounce that name. They, they would see it as, as holy and we shouldn't pronounce it, shouldn't be said. And, and so tradition grew around that name and using that that name. And so it was, it was never really used. Now, one of the problems we've got as well is that Hebrew, um, when they were reading the Hebrew back then, there's no vowel points in, in Hebrew. Um, so how do you pronounce these words? That, that was another additional problem. And so again, rather than pr- trying to even pronounce the name of God, they would use a Hebrew word for Lord Adonai and put that in capital letters there. Now, there's a group of, um, of Jewish scribes working around the sixth to the 10th century called the Masorets. You may have heard of the Masoretic text. And what they did is, uh, helpfully, because they realized that people wouldn't understand the text really unless they, you know, learn from the oral tradition of what these words said, they put vowel points in the text. And so that was really helpful. But when it came to the name of God, what were they going to do? Because even then, when they were translating this, they still weren't pronouncing the name of God. So what do we do? So again, he said that what they did is they took the vowels out of Adonai, the Hebrew word for Lord, and they ended up sticking them in the tetragram, in the four letters, the Y-H-W-H. And they created this word, Yahuwah. And again, it's even more confusing than that, really, David, because rather than taking the first A from Adonai, they ended up putting an E in there, so it became Yehowah. And, you know, you try and find out, well, why did they do that? And again, it was all about, they even felt, you shouldn't try to pro- pronounce this name of God. We don't, it's, too, it's too sacred. We, we don't know how to pronounce it. We shouldn't pronounce it. So anyway, a couple of short, this name was there, um, Yehovah. And then it gets translated eventually into English and becomes Jehovah. And that name stuck. And tradition has kept it. And so, um, and Christians use that. And, and you hear lots of people use it and every time i hear it i think to myself we don't know that's god's name yeah. that's just a word that's come down to us and we don't know yeah. and what's interesting about this is that the jehovah's witnesses themselves admit that they don't really know the name of god in their literature they'll say look the nearest we can get is perhaps yahweh and that's another name we're familiar with but even then they're not sure that that's the right name for god so the question is, if they think that's the nearest, why are they not called Yahweh's witnesses? Yeah. And the bigger issue is, why are they insistent that you use this name Jehovah when they're not sure it's God's name, and we probably think it isn't God's name? It could just as easily be Jehovah, Jehovah. It could be none of those things. We, we, we don't know. I once was talking to a Jehovah's Witness about this, and this, I was asking them the questions and they said, well, look, you know, we just trying our best. And I said, well, that's really good. I said, but imagine this I said, my name's Tony, but imagine when you're talking to me, you kept calling me tiny. Yeah. And you said, well, we don't really know your name, but we're trying our best. I said, I wouldn't be happy. My name's not tiny, it's Tony. Yeah. Yeah. But you're happy to do this with God's name.
0: Yeah.
1: And the big problem is then is that they're insistent that it must be used. They're insistent that that is God's name and it must be used. They're sold on that idea. Now, What I would say is my, my suggestion to Christians is that you don't have to really get into a big debate with them about this. It's a little bit of a red herring. They love you to go down that rabbit trail of the name Jehovah because they're so insistent. So what I'd rather do is point them to the name that's, that is important and that's the name of Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll find myself saying, well, look, can you read to me Acts 1 and verse 8? and get them to read it, always get them to read these verses, don't you read them to them? And Acts 1a, where Jesus says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So aren't we to be a Jesus witness? You know, I'm a Jesus witness. And, and point those things out to them. Yeah. Take them to Acts 4.12, you know where it says there's no other name given by which a man can be saved. Whose name is that? Well, it's not Jehovah, yeah. it's Jesus so i think sort of deflect them away from the issue they want to take you down and, and take them to the, the name that can save that would be my advice really on that
0: yeah who is the christ of the jehovah witnesses
1: well they they definitely have a different christ uh, a different jesus i mean one of the things that they believe about jesus is that he didn't become the christ until his baptism so up until from his birth right up until his baptism he was just a normal man it's interesting in luke's gospel I think in Luke one, he talks about christ the lord is born this day you know he's christ he was the messiah from birth mm. um but they don't believe that so for, for jehovah's witnesses jesus has not always existed he is a created being so jehovah alone existed and then the first thing jehovah did in creating anything was to create a helper And that helper was jesus they also believe that jesus is the archangel michael so he's just he was an angel when he was made um i've already mentioned that he was only a man up until his baptism then he became the christ Uh, they believe that he's the second adam but this second adam that they believe only paid for adam's sin not for your sin and my sin so we have to pay for our own sin really they believe that Jesus died, not on a cross as we would understand it, but on an upright pole they call a torture stake. Another little sort of red herring there. Um, but they believe he rose spiritually from the dead, not physically from the dead. And then when God recreated him, because he didn't exist, they believe that when you die, you're dead, you're gone, you don't exist anyway. They use the word resurrection, but they really mean recreation then jesus returns to heaven to become the archangel michael again yeah i mean it's just so baffling really i mean hebrews thirteen eight says jesus christ the same yesterday today and forevermore yeah well theirs keeps changing first he doesn't exist then he's an angel then he's a man then he's christ then he doesn't exist then he's a spirit then he's the archangel michael again yeah they're all over the place yeah. completely different jesus
0: Who is the true Christ of the Bible?
1: Well, the true Christ of the Bible is definitely not the one that Jehovah's Witnesses teach and the one that I used to believe in. You see, the Christ of the Bible is the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was promised to come. Right back in the book of Genesis talks about him coming and throughout the Old Testament it's pointing to this Christ, this Messiah who's gonna come. And the one that comes is called Emmanuel, which is God with us. He is eternally God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity, not created. Um, John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God. Again, translated differently in the JW Bible, the Word was a God because they can't have Jesus being God. Yeah. John 1 14, this Word who was God uh, took on flesh uh, and made his dwelling amongst us. Mm-hmm. He was fully God and fully man yeah so it's a completely different christ that the bible teaches to the one the jehovah's witnesses teach and again we just gotta be careful with this stuff because they will talk about jesus and we need jesus and he died for my sin and 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 all these things but they mean something different by it so don't get caught up by those things
0: yeah what do Jehovah's witnesses believe about the holy spirit and how does this differ from a biblical understanding
1: To to Jehovah's Witnesses, the Holy Spirit is what they call God's active force. Sounds like Star Wars rather from the Bible. But really, they believe that the Holy Spirit is really just God's power which flows from him to do his bidding. So if Jehovah wants to accomplish something and he needs his power to accomplish it, this Holy Spirit, this power flows from him to do that so for them the holy spirit is not a person and he's not god he's just an inanimate power that comes from god they liken him to electricity and the problem with that is again the bible just denies all those things that they teach you know the bible shows very clearly that the holy spirit is a person um, just think of a few a few verses acts 13 1 and 2 Um, it says now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, uh, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian and a lifelong friend of Herodotetra and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, see, the, the Holy Spirit has attributes of personage. He's a person, the Holy Spirit can speak, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Yeah. How do you grieve an electrical force? You know, I often joke and say, look, it doesn't matter how much I shout at my electrical socket over there. It's not going to start weeping and be upset about it. Because it's inanimate. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, We know also that Jesus said, even he, the spirit of truth. You know, the, the world rejects him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And, and what the Jehovah's Witnesses do is they, they negate these verses in their Bible uh, by, by removing um, pronouns uh, and, and uh, references to, to the Holy Spirit and always um, write him in lowercase letters. Yeah. This he's just an inanimate force. Yeah. But I think just a final one, David, as well, just a good verse to use with the Jehovah's Witnesses is Acts 5, 1-4. Where again, you've got Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property. Um, They hold some of it back for themselves and Peter says this to them. He says, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, you've lied to God. So again, the context lying to the holy spirit is lying to god yeah and there's lots of other places you can go but yeah they've got it wrong with the holy spirit as well yeah
0: jehovah witnesses are often quick to point out that the word trinity is not in the bible how do you handle this objection and lead them to a biblical understanding of a triune god
1: well the first part of your question is easier to do than the second part (laughs) uh but the first part is 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 quite easily handled really because i always agree with them the word trinity is not in the bible but then there are lots of words that we use when we're speaking about God that are not in the Bible. So we might use the omnis, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. Uh, we might use the word uh, immutable, that God doesn't change. And one of the favorite words Jehovah's Witnesses like to use is the word theocratic, mm. which means God's kingdom rule. That's not in the Bible. But the principle is, and the idea is, and so that's how I often handle that with the JWs. You know, I agree with them, it's not there, but let's look at some other words and let's look at this word that you use. And then they, they get the idea and, and they usually give in at that point and say, that's all right, then I understand what you're saying. But it's really dif- difficult to get the JWs to listen on the topic of the Trinity. They love talking Trinity with you. They train for this kind of stuff. They lo- when I was with the JWs, that's all I wanted to talk to Christians about because I was so confident I could win that argument. Yeah. I had all my proof text to prove that Jesus wasn't God and, and I was ready to go, so they love that. So there's value in discussing this with them, but it's hard work. So what I do is rather than go straight into the Trinity, just, we need to talk to them about who Jesus is, because if they can begin to see who Jesus is and realize that he's God, then you can start moving on to the Holy Spirit from there um but standard verses i would i would use with them again john's gospel is rich in in this sort of stuff with Jehovah's Witnesses. says john 1 1 i've already mentioned that be aware it's changed in their bible but there's a, a good discussion you can have with them about that john 8 58 you know jesus says before abraham was i am um again a clear reference to deity harking back to exodus three fourteen, and the jews realize this because they pick up stones to stone him be aware, they've changed this in their Bible as well. I have got, just, just for those who might be listening, who, who might get in touch with me beyond this, um, I have got things I can send you which are good verses to take them to that have not been changed, and how you deal with verses that have been changed. And John 2028 20, is a beauty, because John 2028, 20, Thomas sees Jesus alive again, poured out in Thomas, he wasn't there like the rest to see him. And what's Thomas's response? To Jesus my Lord and my God and in their version a capital G which is really important because in Jehovah's Witness Minds capital G means Jehovah yeah. so these are verses they, they don't know these verses it's strange David you know we think we they know their Bible really well and so we're scared to talk to them but they only know what they know really well and there are lots of places they don't look at yeah um, so that's what I do really try to go, go to Jesus first there are some verses you can look at for, for trinity just quickly galatians 1 1 um says god the father raised jesus from the dead um luke 2 15 to 21 jesus talking about the temple destroy this temple and in three days i will i will uh, rise it again raise it again um, and it goes in the context to say he's talking about his own body he's claiming he's going to raise himself from the dead and then Romans 8, 11 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. How many times did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, just once. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit must be one. He didn't rise three times. So just things like that can help them
0: to get their head around it a little bit. Yeah. What do Jehovah Witnesses teach regarding salvation, and how does that differ from Scripture? Um
1: well in the first instance uh, the jehovah's witnesses are like most cults and, and like the catholic church <laughs> which would teach you know, there's no salvation outside of them um so you need to be in the watchtower part of the watchtower to have any hope of salvation and even then it's not guaranteed and this this is the difficulty for these guys they never know whether they've done enough because yeah. salvation through good works yeah an affiliation to the Watchtower Society. And so um, they know, know nothing about salvation as a free gift through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. And so for them salvation is about work, it's about effort, it's about looking the part, doing everything that the governing body tells you to do. Because you know to disobey the governing body is to disobey Jehovah. And they just hope it's almost like they're keeping their fingers crossed that when Armageddon finally hits they've done enough. You might find some that would be a bit more confident and say, well, I think, you know, I, I'll be okay. But it's based on the moment right then. Yeah. Because, you know, for, I often use this example, you know, maybe Saturday afternoon, you've got the choice as a Jehovah's Witness. You can go out and knock on doors or stand in the city centre with the cart, or you can go watch your favourite football team play. You decide to have a day off from the cart and go and watch your favorite football team. Well, if Armageddon comes while you're watching your football match, you're in danger. That's how flimsy it is for these guys. And so it differs from scripture greatly. The, the scripture tells us, the Bible tells us, and, and this was just so impacting on me as it is many who come out of Jehovah's Witnesses to Christ, that it's just a free gift. That it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. He is enough. Yeah. And that's the salvation that scripture teaches about. Yeah.
0: Tell us how Jehovah Witnesses understand the number 144,000 to be a literal understanding of Revelation 7 and how that plays out within their theology.
1: Yeah, well, they're very familiar with 144,000 of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's interesting, again, this is, what. A, a, b- b- Cults can do, and, and I dare say that some Christians have fallen into this trap, and we mustn't. That you know, they, they take verses out of context, they, they may even take a verse and translate it differently within the same verse. So this is an example of that. Um, so, for example, in Revelation 7, Revelation 14, where it mentions the 144,000, they believe that number to be literal, it's a literal 144,000. But then the people it mentions after that, they believe are symbolic. So even within the, the same verse, they're mixing it up the interpretation of it. So this is, you know, eisegesis reading into it what you want to read rather than exegesis reading out of it what it actually is saying. And what they believe is that the, the people it's speaking about is spiritual Israel, not literal Israel. And guess who spiritual Israel is? Well, it's 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, faithful Jehovah's Witnesses. So they believe these verses are about themselves. Now, the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe they're part of the 144,000 because there's only only 144,000 in Jehovah's Witness theology that are gonna be in heaven. So 99.9% of Jehovah's Witnesses you speak to will not believe they're going to heaven they believe they're gonna live forever on a paradise earth. Also, what's interesting about the 144,000 in their theology is that once a year, they have what they call a memorial meal around Easter time, and they pass around the bread and the wine, and you're only allowed to partake if you believe yourself to be one of the 144,000. So literally, in, in kingdom halls throughout the world, the bread and the wine is passed around and nobody partakes it just goes back again and for me that's like a denial of what Christ has done for us how do you know you're one of the 144,000 well you just know apparently the doctrine has changed over the years because that number should be full by now and, and, and Armageddon should have come but they had to change it back in the 90s it's a bit convoluted the, the is for that so we'll get into that right now but also just to mention it's only the 144,000 in their theology that needs to be born again. So ordinary Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe they need to be born again. And Jesus is the mediator only for the 144,000. Yeah. So the, the ordinary witnesses have no mediator. Yeah. So you can see it's, it's massive this in their theology. And uh, it undermines scripture and leaves the rank and file Jehovah's Witnesses lost. Yeah, completely lost with yeah. no mediator. Scary stuff. Yeah.
0: What do Jehovah Witnesses believe about the resurrection of Jesus, and why is this significant?
1: So I've already mentioned a little bit about what they believe about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, they claim to believe in the resurrection; they'll use that word. But they understand something different by it, because what they believe is that when Jesus died. He became non-existent. They believe that we are a living soul. They don't believe there's a soul that lives on beyond death within a human. So they believe when you're dead, you're dead. You exist nowhere. And so you're then just remembered you're in, in Jehovah's memory. And at a point in the future, Jehovah will, they use the word resurrect but there's nothing to resurrect because you don't exist anywhere, you're just a memory. Yeah. So actually Jehovah recreates you. So to be honest, David, it's not you. Yeah. It's it, It's a replica Yeah. if you follow their theology to where it takes you. And so for Jesus is resurrection, therefore also it, it wasn't physical, it was spiritual. And so they'll maybe point to, to certain scriptures um, you know, well, when, when the women went to the tomb, they, they saw an angel, they saw a gardener. Well, you know, it, it was, that was Jesus. The, he didn't look the same, and, and this is what they'll talk about. But again, you know, a good verse to take them to is, is Luke 24, 36 to 39. Uh, again, just read that quickly. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so there are certain scriptures you can point them to 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 show that what they've been taught doesn't line up with scripture. And that's often the case with Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, yeah.
0: You mentioned earlier on that Jehovah Witnesses have always been fascinated in dates, mm. um, and we know that they've consistently incorrectly predicted dates. Tell us about that, Tony.
1: Yeah, well, it is very much a part of their history. Again, from uh, from Russell onward and and his involvement with the Second Adventists, and um, so they've they've predicted all kinds of things. Russell began by saying that Jesus would return in 1874. When it didn't happen, he he Changed it to 1878. When that didn't happen, um, he began to look at the date 1914. Uh, when Jesus didn't return um, visibly in 1914, they kept the date, but they say, well, he did return, but he returned invisibly. So it talks about um, the, the Jesus appearing, the parousia. Uh, they use this, they say that's his presence. Not, it doesn't mean that he ha- you have to physically see him, even though we know that Bible says every eye will see him yeah. in the same way that he went up, he will come back. No, he came, but it was invisible. And one of the evidences that Jesus returned, and what they mean by returned is that he took his place in the heavens on the throne. He became the ruler. So the end was gonna come really soon then to the earth. Armageddon would come. They say one of the evidences that that's true is that in 1914 there was World War One and, and what, what brought about all this all this warfare well Jesus taking his throne Satan and, and his, uh, his legions of followers um, they weren't happy with this so they caused problems on the earth and so uh, just crazy thinking yeah. but when you're in it it sounds plausible yeah it seems like it makes sense yeah. so that obviously this they stuck to that 1914 and they've got to keep that date. Because it ties in with other sort of stuff in their theology. Uh, But then, you know, you had Rutherford after him saying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would return in 1925. They even ended up building a house and buying a car for these uh, Old Testament prophets. And when they didn't return, guess who lived in the house and drove around in the big car? Judge Rutherford. Uh, They reckon 1941, there was only months before it would happen. But the big day, which is still in the memory of, of many Jehovah's Witnesses of a certain age, was 1975, and they'd worked out that 1975 was exactly 6,000 years after the creation of Adam, and so that would bring about then the millennial reign of Christ or the yeah. paradise earth, thousand years for these guys. And uh, lots of witnesses left after that failed prophecy. They still today claim that they never said it. Well, all their documentation, I've got tons of documentation that shows they were clearly saying it. Yeah. yeah. But they're keen to say, Well, look, we're not we're not really prophets. Um, but their literature again, they've claimed to be prophets. Most famously, I think, in an article in nineteen seventy two, again before the nineteen seventy five date, there was a big article and the heading was, Does Jehovah have a prophet to warn them? And the article goes and like, say, Yes, and who are they? They're Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. Yeah. So they're false prophets. Yeah. Yeah, definitely biblically
0: what is the definition of a cult
1: well that's uh, not as easy a question to answer as you might think uh, because it depends who you ask and and the term cult is quite broad as well um so like to give you a kind of standard definition a dictionary definition of a cult would be something like this So a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or as imposing excessive control over members. Um, There are all kinds of different cults. There are religious cults, there are political cults, there are social cults. Depending on where you're coming from will determine your, um, your definition as well. If you're not a Christian, you will define a cult differently. You, you would maybe even look at Christians like us as a cult, mm. depending on where you're coming from. Mm. But for me as a Christian, um, I, I would define a cult like this, and the Jehovah's Witnesses like this. And th- this is a cult that comes from um, a guy called Dr. Walter Martin, who's, who's passed away now. He, he uh, wrote a book called The New Cults, and in it, he said this, uh, a cult is a group religious in nature, which surrounds a leader or a group which either denies or misinterprets essential biblical doctrines. So from, from where we're coming from as Christians, looking at these groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and these, these so-called Christian cults, that would be my definition for them. They're claiming to be Christian, but they deny or misinterpret essential historical biblical doctrine. Yeah. And so they're cults. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. How easy is it to leave being a Jehovah witness and what is it like transitioning from the Watchtower theology to that of Orthodox Christianity?
1: It's not, e- it's not easy to leave any of these groups really, because there's so much of their lives tied up in these groups. So imagine you're a born and bred Jehovah's witness. It's all you've ever known. All your family are still involved. Um, they will disfellowship you if you leave which means your family will have nothing to do with you ever, anymore. You'll lose friends, you maybe lose your job because a lot of them try and work for each other. Um, so basically, basically you can leave behind everything that you've ever known. There are a couple of terms that, that are used in, in, in dealing with cultures called PMO and POMI, and just to explain what they're meant, PMO is physically in, mentally out. And there's a, there's a good number of people like that, I think, who are physically remain in the group because the cost of leaving is too great, but they don't believe it anymore. And so they're stuck in there, but they've, they've, they've already left in their head.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the other one, which is the poor Mai, is the physically out, but mentally in. So there are those who leave for all kinds of reasons, but they're still believing it. They're still anxious and worried. And, and, and may go back to the group. Um so so it's incredibly difficult for them to leave. Many who do come out tend to go towards atheism. And there's a guy who's doing a great work in an ex-Jehovah's Witness who's doing a great work in getting people out of the group but he leads them to Dawkins, uh you know, to atheism, which is sad. So you know my part of my sort of work as I see it is to try and say, look, you can still no God, you can still consider Christ when you come out of these groups, but obviously they're very suspicious. Yeah. Um, very uh, much happy to have their freedom now and think for themselves, and worried about getting involved in anything else. Mm-hmm. As for the theology um, part, well, it, it's one thing getting a person out of the cults; it's another getting a cult out of the person. And depending on how long a person's been in and the type of person they are and the work of god in their life um it takes some longer than others yeah i mean for example uh, david I, i'm currently doing a christianity explored course with a couple who recently left jehovah's witnesses he he'd been in it all his life 50 years and and she was in it 36 years and you would think man it might take a long time for these guys to come around but God's doing an amazing work in their life and every week, I'm meeting them um, tomorrow afternoon, every week they've progressed in their understanding and, and the Holy Spirit's just working in their life yeah. and they've come to real faith in the Lord Jesus. He prays God for that. But there are some that come out and struggle so we need to be patient. Uh, we need to be loving and understanding towards them if they come into our churches. not expect miracles from them little bit by little bit but they'll get there. Yeah. And uh, They often struggle primarily with the Trinity. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Yeah.
0: If anyone's listening to this who isn't yet a Christian, what would you want to say to them?
1: I'd want to say, "Why not?" Be <laughs> my first response. Well, what are you doing? Um, I think what I want to say to people is this: If 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 what Christianity teaches is true, then you can't afford to ignore it. Um, It's it's a life and death issue. And the Bible tells us that one day we'll stand before God to give an account for our life. And the issue is then is what are you going to say to him? Um, Jesus said that he's the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. We need Jesus, we need Jesus. We need someone to forgive our sin. Our good works is never gonna be enough. No matter how good you think you are, how much you help people, you will never reach God's standard because we measure ourselves against Him. Yeah. Um we want to measure ourselves against other people. Yeah. But when we measure ourselves against God, we realize we, we fall way short. Yeah. So it's too important to ignore. So what I'd suggest is to anyone listening who's interested in this is give it a try. Investigate the claims of Christianity. Christianity is not blind faith, it's a reasonable faith. There are answers to your questions that you might have look into it uh, get in touch with me or, or david or, or or someone that you know who is a christian i'd happily send you some literature even do a christianity explored course with you or whatever uh, where you, you you're free to ask all the questions you want and to, to bring all your doubts um, because we're so convinced that this is true that it'll stand up to scrutiny yeah so give it a try give jesus a try that's yeah. what i want to suggest yeah
0: Tony, do you have any closing thoughts? And also, make sure that you let people know how they can keep up to date with what you're doing.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think what I'd want to say, David, is if if you're a Christian listening to this, and I'm, I'm assuming it'd be predominantly Christians listening to this, but um, if you are a Christian, then remember that we need to share the truth in love with everyone, but particularly with cultists, and to realise that they're lost. It, you know, it's no good thinking. Well, I can just leave them. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to open my door. I can hide behind the city when they come. Um, when they knock on our door, when we see them in the street, there's a gospel opportunity, evangelistic opportunity, and we need to share Jesus with them. So please do that, and don't worry about what you're going to say. You know, the, the Holy Spirit will lead us, and just share your testimony um, with them. That, that can often jolt them and make them think. Yeah. So so do that really. In terms of uh, getting in touch with me, uh, you can email me. Um, my, my email address is tony.brown at aofe.org.uk. I'll just repeat that again. So it's tony.brown at aofe.org.uk. I could then add you to my, my newsletter um, distribution list if you're interested. And also check out our website, which is uh, reachouttrust.org. Tony, so, there you
0: go. Yeah. Tony, thank you so much. And thank you again for a brilliant interview and also for writing this really helpful book, Sharing the Gospel with Jehovah Witnesses. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I'm gonna put the link um, to your email and to your website in the description below. Thanks again Tony. for your time, Tony.
1: Brilliant, thanks very much, David. Take care. Thank